The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. We again going to find ourselves in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. And you know, Jesus came into the world, and particularly this sermon here, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's setting a standard so high up there that nobody can meet it. Nobody can meet it. They had religion, people in that day, and they thought it was biblical. It was so sophisticated, complex. But Jesus says it's all substandard. It doesn't meet the requirement. They didn't make it. And he comes to the Pharisees and the scribes, and as we studied, and he said, do not be like the hypocrites, do not be like the scribes, and you heard it said, but this is what it is, right? Everything I say is true, everything they say is false. And he's saying this standard, you torn it down, you lowered it, nothing but human, And so I come not to destroy the law and the prophets, right? He didn't come to destroy and put away the Old Testament. But I came to reaffirm them, put them back to where they belong. I come to reestablish which has always been established in God's mind. So we saw in chapter 5, he said their theology was inadequate. Their theology didn't make it. You were wrong doctrine about hate. Anger, murder, remember those things we talked about? Divorce, swearing, telling oaths. You got everything wrong, even the theology of love, right? They hated their enemies. But he reestablishes everything that was God intended it to be and from God's view. But here in chapter 6, he tells them they have the wrong approach to worship. He says your worship is phony. You have a whole bunch of hypocrites. And we studied verse 1 last Sunday when he says, Take heed, beware. We'll look at some other translations in here in Matthew 6, 1 in the King James, New King James Version. says, When you do your charitable deeds, and we looked at that word and said, Your righteous deeds before men, you're only doing it to be seen by others. Their giving was an element of religion which deals with others, really. Then he talks about praying later on in the chapter that deals with God, and fasting is the element of the religion that deals with themselves and God. So he really sums up the whole area in these three things, responsibility of our worship. And Jesus really here unmasks the hypocrites. What he's trying to do throughout this entire Sermon on the Mount is show all of us and help us realize No matter how good we think we are, we don't meet it. We don't meet it in our theology. We don't meet it in everyday lives. And we need a Savior. And then he presents himself to them. And folks, the message is not any different today. That's the message to us today. You know, the world is full of religious people. There's full of, maybe some even here today, they're religious people. But these religious people are lost. They're lost. They have a show. They have a sham. They look religious. They do all the religious things. They carry a Bible. They look like a Christian and so forth, but inside they're rotten. They're hypocrites. And 
Jesus here is dealing with our giving. And look at verses 2 through 4. He says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees it in secret will himself reward you openly. Do you know what I like about the Bible? It tells you what your problem is, but then tells you the solution. It tells you the problem, and it gives you the solution. Now, when you come to the area of giving, you really open up a can of worms, right? Especially in our day. I don't know if there's ever been a time, in fact, in history where we get bombarded asking for donations for charitable Christian causes, right? Go down the street. You'll be broke by giving them your money out to, to every single one. And knowing how to give is very difficult. It is. What, where do you give? What do you do? But basically, there's two ways of giving in terms of Christian giving in the terms of the way the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches is to give to the church and give to the poor. And the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you read the whole thing, it tells us that we're to bring our offerings first day of the week and store as God has prospered us. Bible talks about believing people coming together in 1 Corinthians 16 uh, verse 2 and says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. On the first day of the week, and if you read the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, it also talks about tithing. So this is a systematic, structured type of giving. And there's the second giving that Jesus teaches about, and that's giving to the poor and needy. Now, this is unstructured giving. It's spontaneous. It's not may not be planned. And it's going above and beyond what you give to the church. In the Old Testament, folks, and the New Testament, we see both kinds of of giving, where you see a needy person also crossing your path, you help that person. You give that person their need. You reach out of your heart. Now, beyond those two things, the Bible teaches nothing of giving. No political parties, no anything like that, right? Except taxes, maybe. It says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And it's interesting that we all give to Caesar, but then when it comes to God, some of us, you know, hold off on that. Now, I admit that I'm going to preach to you about giving this morning, right? I know some of you probably want to do something else when we talk about giving. Go visit Aunt Bertha, go play some golf, be sick, anything but being here. But folks, I don't want our church to have that view and the, really the people that really have that view uh, because this subject has been abused and especially by the church, uh, and number one, number two, because people have the wrong understanding of it. But giving is part of your worship. And we hear a lot, people don't want to come to ch church because there's a whole bunch of hypocrites and all they want is their money. Is, you know, but guilty. Not a lot of churches, but the platform, is that's, that's what it is today in a lot of churches. There are all kinds of false preaching going on today. Send $10, right? You'll get $100 back. 
you send in $100, you'll get $1,000 back. Let me tell you something. You give your money, $10, you'll be $10 poorer. You give $100, in terms of financial means, you give $100, you're going to be $100 poorer. There's a Greek word for that kind of teaching. Everybody know my favorite Greek word? Baloney. Baloney. All those prosperity uh, gospel teachings and so forth, you know, and people give because they have this idea, I'm going to give $10, I'm going to get 100 And the point is not even as an act of worship or giving, but the point of that giving is for them to get something in return and for them to get financially rich. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. He's the God of the universe. And some some reason, everybody skips Proverbs 28.20. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Now, it's not wrong to be rich, but if that's your goal and that's what you're trying to do, that's, what you're, that's what's driving your heart to get rich, especially for Christians, <laughs> you'll get punished. You'll get punished. People want to get rich. That's their goal. But when it comes to giving... You have to begin with this, and this is going to blow your mind, all right? When I study this, it's going to blow your mind. Write this down big, plain, and straight. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money, all right? God is not broke. He's still in charge of the universe. He's not having some financial difficulties. He's not laying off angels up in heaven. He's solid, but the thing is, He's interested in your finances. And in fact, uh, you study the scriptures, you come to a realization that throughout all eternity, he ever made everything, he did it without money. He never needed a penny, right? God ran the whole universe before we even came into existence, and he never needed money. And it's interesting, Psalm 50, 12, it says this of God, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. You know, God can do anything he wants. He doesn't want a penny from us. Doesn't need a cent. So we don't think or should not have an attitude when we do give that we did him a wild favor, we did him God a favor, we gave him some money. You think that... God is up there with his angels, maybe Michael, like, hey, can you check the bank's finances? Are we, are we still good on furthering the kingdom? He's not up there worried about that. God is not at the mercy of us. So very first thing I want you to understand is God doesn't need your money, nor he wants it. But the thing is, you still need to give it. That's what the Scripture teaches and Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said, I thank you for your offering. He says, I don't need it, but you needed to give it because when you give it, you put yourselves within the framework of God's blessings. Now, I want to give you a heads up. I am going to talk about blessings, but it's not the blessings that is being taught in a lot of churches today. Because if you can see in verse 1, he says, you will have a reward. You won't have a reward from heavenly Father. And then he says, you already have a reward. So there is a blessing. 
but it's not those blessings where you're just going to be rich. He may bless you financially, but not necessarily. And we'll take a look at that. So in Philippians, Paul writes to them and says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So by giving money to Paul and supporting other churches, there's some fruit that God is laying on their account. You see, giving is about getting. Giving is about being blessed. So when God says, release it, and I will multiply it, there's that blessing. So sometimes you give money to another church, let's say. They might do something with it and get 10 people saved. That's your blessing. That's your blessing. So I want us to understand so I don't sound contradictory because there are, there are blessings, and I'm going to be talking about those, but I'm not, I don't want you to think that they turn into a prosperity gospel type of preacher, right? No, none of that. But <laughs> look at Proverbs 11.25. It says, the generous soul... A generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So you see, as God gives, God blesses, you give, you give to God, and God multiplies that, and you are watered as well. And look at Proverbs eleven twenty six 26, says, The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessings will be on the head of him who sells it. This verse is talking about if a farmer withholds grain and never sows the grain to the ground, never sells it, he's, he's going to starve to death eventually. Do you see what I'm talking about? There's a cycle. You grow the grain, you sell it, you buy more seed, you put more seed in the ground, you sell that, and so forth. So there's this cycle. You plant and round and round it goes. And the whole thing depends on your faithfulness of sowing the seed. You scatter the resources. You, you real, do you guys realize all the farmer takes? Everything he has, he puts it on the ground, into the ground, and then he has faith in God will multiply it, right? That's all they do is put everything in the ground. So the generous soul will be made rich. But in Proverbs eleven twenty four, if you back up there, there says, there's one who scatters, yet increases more, right? That's what we just talked about. And there is one who withholds more than is right. So he doesn't have to sell everything. But the one who withholds more than is right, that leads to poverty. You know, a lot of people, you know, stop at nothing when it comes to giving, right? And they wonder why they're making all this money but yet they never have any money. They're making millions of dollars, but yet they're somehow broke. You hear stories all the time. You see, as God gives you, God blesses, and when God blesses you out of your giving, it's a big cycle. I give, God blesses out of the blessings, I give again, and it keeps going and going. Now, if you step out of that cycle of blessings and you don't give, there's nothing that God can bless because you're not given anything. And the principle in giving is not just talking about monetary things, but the whole spiritual blessedness is you need to give because it puts you in the circle of blessedness. What, God, what you give, God blesses. 
So if you look at Deuteronomy 16.10, it says this, Then you shall keep the feast of weeks of the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Now again, it's showing the cycle. You will see this cycle over and over. Look at Deuteronomy 16.17. says, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessings of the Lord. So whatever you God blessed you with, you give out of that blessing, and then he blesses that again. So there's a cycle I want everybody to look and understand. And folks, again, not just talking about financially. It's spiritual things. Um, I have some people that experience when they were dedicated, no matter what, they're going to tie a certain amount to the church and give to the, to the poor. You know what God blessed them with? More work. Their business got more customers and so forth. They were getting bombarded with business. But they had to work. It doesn't mean you just sit on the couch and God blesses you and puts money in your account. That's never scriptural. So I want to look at some things that way we can give in a non-hypocrite kind of way as he's talking about. Then we'll talk about giving to the poor. First, I want everybody to understand that when you give, you're investing with God. It puts you in that cycle of blessings. Look at Luke 6:38. It says, "Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put on your bosom. For the same measure that you used, it will be measured back to you." What's interesting is God's measure, he presses this down and shakes it, right? And it still runs over. Now, the example I want you to use here, I'm sure everybody would have this experience. Anybody go to a grocery store and buy a cereal? You get a box, you feel it, shake it, it's a full box. You get home, you open it, the air goes out. You shake it. You want to complain and you feel cheated. You're like, it's, it's like that, the box like this, right? It's all pressed down. There's nothing in there. Where's the blessings? What this verse tells us, you open it, you shake it, you press it down, compact it, and God's blessing, his investment, is always going to be running over. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, but, say, <laughs> but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Again, folks, God doesn't need your money. But you need to invest it with him to get in the flow of his blessedness. And folks, if you want a rich life, again, I'm not just talking material things. So sometimes we, when we talk about blessings, that's all we think about. What about your good health, right? God blesses you with good health. God blesses you with a job when everybody else is losing their jobs. You have food on the table. That's blessing. You got a coat that you can wear during the wintertime, right? Those are God's blessing. Secondly, your giving needs to be sacrificial. And I think this is where a lot of Christians fail. Uh, you see, if there isn't a sacrifice involved, it's questioned whenever even giving, if it, if it makes any sense at all, if it matters. And the reason I say that, if you look at 2 Samuel 24, 24, and this is what 
David has to say. He says, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. I will not give to God which costs me nothing. That's not going to say anything to God, right? If you give him some leftovers, what is that going to say? Nothing. It's not really sacrificial giving. It's not a great act of love. If you look at Mark 12, 41 through 44, I'm sure all of you are familiar with this story with the poor widow. And it says, Now Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. They gave a lot of money. They gave a lot of money. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who are given to the treasury, every single one of them. She put in more. For they put out of their abundance, but she put in out of what? Her poverty. She put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And there's so many things going on here. Rich people come in, you know, average middle class come in. They give much money. And this poor widow just give two cents. Probably in financial world wouldn't matter. You know, in today's world, you know what two mites will get you? Still won't get you not much. And the Lord said she gave more than everybody gave. Why? Because that's all she had. That's sacrificial giving. You know, one time I was a, as Tim said, we grew up in church. I was an usher, you know, collecting the plates once. And I won't say which brother, but I'm sure if he listens to this sermon, he'll know who it is. Um, and I was collecting money, you know. We had the plates passing around. And he was sitting on the edge there, and I came to pass the plate, and he opens up his wallet. And I see tens, twenties, hundreds in there. Must have been payday or something. And he puts a little amount in there that I won't disclose how much. And I'm looking at it, looking at his wallet. And I'm just standing there. By this time, everybody looking, he puts some more money in there. I'm like, still standing there. True story. He puts some more money in there. I didn't feel it was sacrificial enough. I know him. You know, people didn't know that we were brothers. They were like, what's that guy doing? And then when I felt it was sacrificial enough and he gave me a look that he going to beat me up, I kind of, you know, moved on. The giving has to be sacrificial. Otherwise, it means nothing. Right? This is where I kind of mentioned sometimes when I did the, at work, I did the can drive for, you know, during the holidays and so forth. People bring expired food. Don't bring your expired food. Like, that's leftovers. It's not sacrificial. And that's where we said, you know, we're collecting coats for, for the, a dream setter and so forth. Don't bring some stained coats that you're going to throw out. You're not going to wear it. That's not sacrificial. It has to be sacrificial. So the third pr- principle is, <laughs> I want this one to really under- for everybody to understand. So first, it has to be sacrificial. I think that's number one in Christians when they give. If we're really in- analyze, it's not sacrificial. Second, it doesn't matter how much you have. It does not relate how much you have. As we saw with the widow here, giving is not measured by the size of the gift itself, but the size of the gift compares 
to what you possess. People say, if I had more money, you know, I'm waiting until my ship comes in, and, you know, when I win the million dollars, I'll do this and that. Man, when that ship comes in, you're going to get on that ship and sail away, you know? In fact, you probably, I'll tell you what people do with the money. Tell me what you're doing with $5 or $10. I will tell you what you're doing with a million dollars, a hundred dollars. You're going to do the exact same thing. And, you know, we always have these stories. If we had this, we would do this with our money. We'll look at the rich people. They're doing that and that. I would do this. I would do this and so forth. You know, I heard a story of a preacher who asked his farmer in the congregation. He said, if you, if you had $200, would you give $100 to the Lord? He said, yes, I would. He said, if you had two cows, would you give one cow to the Lord? He said, yes, I would. He said, what about if you had two goats, would you give one goat to the Lord? He said, yes, I would. He said, what about if you had two pigs, would you give two pigs to the Lord? He says, well, now, wait a minute, that's not fair, because I do have two pigs. You see, we always think the things we don't have, if we had them, we're going to give them. But what about the things we do have? Well, that's not fair, because that's all I have. Folks, if all you can contribute is a dollar, sometimes people, well, I'm not going to give because I don't have any money. Give a dollar. If all you can give is what you find in your couch, be honest with yourself, then put it. Put 25 cents in, 50 cents, because God sees the heart. It's not the size of your gift, but you're going to get into that cycle of blessedness. And again, asterisk, not materially, that everybody always thinks about. You see, God is not holding you responsible for what you don't have, right? If I don't have a million dollars, I can't give a million dollars. But he is going to hold you responsible for what you do have and how you use it. In Luke 16, 10, we find these words, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. This is what I was talking about. Tell me what you're doing with your $5. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Again, same principle. And folks, it's very important that we teach our little children to learn how to give. Have you ever taught your kids how to give? I'm blessed my father taught me how to give and taught me that responsibility, but I'm going through the same thing with my daughter. You know, she wants to, even if a new toy, I'm like, you got to give three toys away. Oh, I don't want to do that. Why? You're not even using them, right? You ever seen the kids play? Another kid comes in the room, like a kid picks up a toy that nobody's playing with. I want that. Why? Because it's this natural thing. We we don't want to give. We don't we we all want to hoard it up. So it's extremely important that we teach our children even small amounts. I remember when we were kids, you know, dad will give us a dollar, equivalent of a dollar a ruble. And we all put it, even though it's not our money, we were all excited that we got to put something in there. You know, so that was easy. But then when you start earning your own money, it's kind of like, you know you got to give. You know, dad gave you, taught you what you got to do. So we got to teach that to our kids. And again, giving is not a matter of how much you have. It's a matter where your heart is and what your commitment is. Next, it correlates, I want to point out, to spiritual riches. 
Look what it says in Luke 16 and verses 11 and 12. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in a righteous mammon, now that means in your worldly possessions, worldly treasures. If you're not faithful in material things of the world, who will commit to you or trust the true riches? So you see two things I want to point out here. These worldly possessions, they're not even the true riches. You see, he says, unrighteous man. That's the worldly riches. But he says, who will give you or trust you with the true riches? And then in verse 12 says, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what's your own? You're not faithful over money, again. Who's going to give you true riches? What are those true riches? What are the true riches? You know, the most expensive thing in the world is a soul. God says, what would benefit you if you gained the whole world, right, but lose your soul? So there's the cost analysis, if you will, you know, finance. The whole world, the whole universe, you can gain it, be the king. And remember the, what's one of the temptations that Satan did with Jesus. says, hey, bow down to me. I'll give you all these kingdoms, right? You'll gain all this. But you gain all that and lose your soul. So we need to understand there's spiritual blessedness involved here. If you're not faithful with your money, God's not going to trust you with souls. And I'm not talking about the, you see those mega churches and so forth. Again, nothing wrong with mega churches, but a lot of Christianity today is fake. It's a whole bunch of hypocrites, I'll admit it. Don't fail to look in the pulpit because people preach even. Not to really praise God, but they want their own audience. They want to be a celebrity pastor. So a lot of this is happening in the world. People equate success to how many people are in the pews, how much money the church buildings and so forth. If they're doing it clean heart, more power to them. But what you see in happening in churches today is, is not good. So your spiritual effectiveness your spiritual influence will have a lot to do with how you handle your money. Now, fifth thing I want to point out is your giving is personally determined. You know, somebody said there are three kinds of givers, a flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything from a flint, you must hammer it. Then you'll get only chips and sparks. To get water out of a sponge, you must squeeze it the more pressure you apply, the more you'll get. And the honeycomb, however, just overflows with its own sweetness. And I like that. Because in 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 9 7. So let each one give as he purposed in his heart. So it's your determination. Then he says, not grudgingly or out of necessity. Oh, I'm a Christian. I got to give. God don't want it. Don't put it. And if you're not a happy, cheerful giver, God doesn't want it, doesn't need it. And if you're a member of this church, don't, don't give it. I know some of you are probably saying, what? God doesn't need it. Because if it's an act of worship, 
I don't want our members to falsely worship God. What's your motive behind your giving? Not grandery, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I'm reminded of a story of two boys were walking, one of them had to milk a cow, and he said, how much did you get? How much did she give? He said, she gave nothing. I had to squeeze it all out of her. God doesn't want that kind of giving where he has to squeeze it out of you or anything like that. God loves a cheerful giver. It's purpose. It's determined by your own. You're going to answer to God. We don't see any requirements in the New Testament that you have to give a certain amount and so forth. And again, I want to say with all my heart, what is not cheerfully or willingly given to God, I want you to know you don't need it. He don't want it. You're not doing him any favors. But you have to give cheerfully and liberally. And that's what Macedonians did. They were poor church Macedonians. If you look at 2 Corinthians in 8, uh, verse first two verses, it says, Moreover, brethren, when we make known to your grace that God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in the great trial of affliction, so they're going through some affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abundant in riches of their liberality. People give, even though there's afflictions, things like that. It's personally determined. Philippians did the same thing. If you look at Philippians 4.15, it says, Now you Philippians, known also in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no charge shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They were poor church. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid, and once again, for my necessities. So this church determined in Philippians, they're going to help Paul out. He's doing all these things for Christ. They're struggling too. They're in poverty. But not only they gave when he came, they sent the money with the messenger where he was. And folks, the last or sixth not the last. Sixth point I want to point out, we are to give also in response of need. And I'm not going to go into all those, but you can look at Acts 4 and Acts 5. You know, the church shared, they sold properties and so forth, and they shared about the needs with each other in Asia Minor. And again, giving, next point, is demonstrates love and not law. If you're given by law, it's not any good. It demonstrates love, cheerful, not grudgingly, not out of necessity. It's not a law, but it's an act of love. And it has to be generous. If you sum it all up, if you're generous, you're investing with God. If you're generous, it's going to be sacrificial giving. And at some point... God is not saying to us, folks, give money to church or give money to the poor because he can't take care of them or he needs it. He's saying you need to give because it's a spiritual exercise, right? Because we understand if we're Christian, everything that we have comes from God. So really giving is not growing churches or banks accounts, it's growing Christians. It's for you to, it's not yours anyway, right? Right? And folks, sometimes I'll be honest with you. 
when you give, again, God may not work this way in your life, but you can do less with more. You can do more with less, sorry, the other way around, than you would with $100. But you can do more with $90. And that's a blessing. I'm sure some of you experienced that in your life. So those are the kind of principles when we need to examine our hearts when we give. Now, he talks about also giving to the poor, the needy. And what we need to understand, sometimes we see poor and needy, and we kind of disregard them. So that's why I'm thankful with Rick and his involvement with the Dream Center, and we can assist in any way we can, because throughout the history of the world, there's always been poor people, right? Even Jesus said that in Matthew 26, 11, for you have the poor with you always. Poor are always among us. There's always somebody that has less than you, that's less fortunate than you. And the Old Testament made it abundantly clear that people of God need to give to the poor. Look at Leviticus 25, 35. It says, if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. God's interested in you helping the poor. And when Israelites freed a slave, they were told this. This is a slave. When they pay off a debt or whatever, they're setting them free. This is the instructions that God gives to God's people when they're set them free. In Deuteronomy 15, he says, And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. And you shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. And look what it reminds everybody. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You know, sometimes you say, I did this, it's mine, but it says here, you're going to give from your flock, you're going to give from your wine press, but then it's like, it's not even yours. It's from what God blessed you with. So we are stewards of what God's given us. It's that whole circle of blessedness. And in Psalm 41, 1, it says, Blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Ain't that a blessing? When you go into something rough and God delivers you? Not helping you financially, but he's delivering you for something. God's people were continually reminded. If you read Psalms, Proverbs, they're continually reminding us that we are to take care of the poor. And I'll put an asterisk here in a second. Look at Proverbs 19.17. It says, he who has pity on the poor, what's interesting here, lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. So when you're giving to the poor, or taking care of the poor, in reality, in your Christian life, if you're doing it from good heart, you're not lending it to this person. You lend to God, and then God's going to repay it. So all giving really investing with God. The Lord approaches this matter of giving because obviously the scribes and the Pharisees and the people following them were not living according to these kind of principles that we're talking about here. 
because the scribes and the Pharisees, as we discussed last Sunday, primarily gave to what? Bring honor to themselves, right? They weren't giving to be in the cycle of blessedness. They weren't given sacrificially. They weren't given out of a pure heart. They were just putting on a show. They were doing these righteous deeds. And again, if you look at verse 1, it says, take heed when you do these charitable deeds to be seen by them. So they, that's what they were doing. But what I also want us to understand when it says when, not if. So you see, it's part of our worship. When you're doing these things, don't be a hypocrite. And in verse 2, it talks about, therefore, if you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the street that they may have glory from men. As surely as they do you, they already have their reward. You do your righteous deed, but beware that you don't do it in a hypocritical way. And you see, why is hypocrisy is so dangerous? The reason it's so dangerous because it's deceptive, right? And what it does is takes the things that are meant for good, basically good, right? Helping the poor, giving money to the church. Then we'll talk about the praying and the fasting. Those are all good things. But doing them in a hypocrite kind of way, they become evil in the eyes of the Lord. And folks, we can be a phony Christian, pretending to be a Christian. You can be a carnal Christian. Maybe you're not even saved and you're saying you're saved. But you say, how do we demonstrate? Again, we talked about last Sunday that, you know, you can't always do things in secret. People see it, right? So, but what matters is the motive behind it. You don't do it to show off. And we have to do these things because if we don't, James writes, if our faith doesn't have works, it's dead. In James 2.17 and 2.26, he repeats it. For as bodies without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So if somebody you see is struggling to meet, buy groceries or utilities, and you tell them, remember that story James talks about? And you tell them, oh, be merry, I'll pray for you, and don't give them anything, your faith is dead. And really, when disciples walked around with Jesus, they know they had a money bag. We know Judas was in charge of it. But you read in John 13, 29, where some thought because Judas had the money, but Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast and also give something to the poor. Why? Why give something to the poor? So it is a required kind of act. It's expected that you're doing these things, but the Pharisees were used to doing it, and they had the long heritage of doing it. They always cared for the poor, but it was all phony. And they twisted the teachings. And I just wanted to show you one of the teachings that's still around today in one of their books. If you look at Sirach 330, I don't know if that's on there. Look what they say. As water extinguishes a blazing fire, so almsgiving, this is charitable deeds given to the poor, atones sin. So that's why part of the reason a lot of Jews believed that salvation was much easier for the rich. Because you can give more, you can sacrifice more, 
and really same kind of characteristic you find in the Catholic Church today, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, where they say, hey, you do all these gifts and they'll forgive you and atone sin, you know, give more money to the church and you'll be forgiven. That's why they have those big, nice buildings. So it's a false type of teaching, and all it does is just puts on a big display. So the reason behind our giving, what matters to God is why are you doing it? What's the motive? Two people can do the same thing, give money to the poor, give money to the church, and one will mean something to the God and the other one will not. So the attitude behind it, the attitude behind it, what's your motive? You know, the Pharisees went around blowing a trumpet, and I read a lot about different accounts of what that means, and some accounts that say they would go into marketplaces and they would be like, you know, they had a little silver trumpet and they would blow it to know that the poor come get your money, that your benefactor has arrived, and they would give the money to the poor, and, you know, that's how they blow their trumpets. They look self-righteous, and they put money in the hands of the poor. But I was thinking, you know what? We have our own little trumpets, if you really think about it. We go home to our wife and say, boy, the things I did to that guy, you would think he would be more thankful or appreciate me a little bit more. Anybody do that? Things I do for that person. I want a little trumpet. And now from Christian organizations, really a lot of Christian organizations raise money in an unbiblical way, right? They say, hey, if you send us a donation for $100, we'll send you this certificate. If you donate $1,000, we'll send you a little plaque, right? That's a trombone right there. Or we'll put your name on the building if you donate this. In every area of righteousness that we will discuss, the key is the heart, the inner attitudes that motivate what we do, what we say. And folks, in this area of righteousness, Jesus is the supreme example of all of it. And as I mentioned last Sunday, he preached messages in public. He performed miracles, compassion, you know, power over nature and so forth, calming the sea. But yet he continually focused his attention to God, to the one that sent him. Now, I want to give you that caution about giving to the poor, that asterisk. And I want to read 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And the reason I want to point this asterisk is because there's always been these professional beggars, charlatans, I want to call them. You know, they play on the sympathy of others. Professional beggars, they can work. They just choose not to work. And the Bible does not tell us that we have some responsibility to support such people or take reasonable care of those. Now, if they can't work, that's a different story. But with those type of people, usually I can support them by, hey, we can find you a job. I can help you find a job. We can go to Kroger's. We can go to McDonald's. You know, one of the things I everybody like know that I like basketball and the 90s basketball, and one of the things that Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan always had a thing, and Michael, Charles Barkley always said that Michael Jordan was cheap. 
And he described a story when they were walking from a, a restaurant. You know, there was a beggar on the street. They, they see them every day. And Michael wouldn't give him any money. And Michael said, well, he says, uh, if he can say, uh, give me a dollar, he can say, welcome to McDonald's, right? Sure, another story is my uncle, true story in Washington. He had a bad back, and he had some yard work that he needed to do, some bricks from one end to bring to the other end. And this homeless guy is standing there saying, I will work for food. So he pulls over and says, hey, not only give you food, but I'll pay you $10 an hour if you come and help me move these bricks. He said, man, you crazy. I make $20 standing here on this corner. $20 an hour. So we're not obligated to support those kind of people. So you need to be, make a distinction. Don't just wastefully support or give your money away. You need to be a good steward of what God blessed you with. So now there is the reward. Now we turn to the prosperity gospel. You're given to the church. You're given to the poor. But God says there's a reward. And some people get stuck on these rewards, but really we don't have to. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. In Matthew The last part of that says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven if you do it before men. But then he says, the hypocrites do it. In verse 2, I surely I say to you, they have their reward. What's that reward they already have? First of all, it's not from the Father in heaven. Who is it from? Well, who do you want to do it for? You did it for men. You got your applause. You got your pat on the back. The key is Father in heaven. So these people get an earthly reward, but not a heavenly one. You get something from men and nothing from God. Otherwise, if you do it for men, that is paid in full. When you stand in front of God, he's going to say, you lazy bum, not good and faithful steward and worker. But there's a reward for those who give with the right heart. In verse 3, he says what a right heart is. When you give to the poor, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Funny statement, right? So if you're walking along, you're reaching your pocket, and you give it to the person, helping them along, you're not even thinking about it, you're not calculating it, you're not stopping and saying, oh, let me think about this. It's based on compassion, mercy of the moment. And when your left hand doesn't know what you're doing, it's very hard to clap, right? You ever try clapping with your one hand? So what that means to me here is really it's kind of give and forget. They give to the needy, but we also wait to see sometimes if this needy will be grateful to us, if they will say a thank you or they do anything. Listen, folks, somebody's, when you do a charitable deed and you give money to somebody or you do something for them, and they're in gratitude, maybe they didn't say thank you or they didn't think you gave enough, if their ingratitude bothers you, you gave for the wrong reason. It's give and forget because I don't want their thank you, I don't want their reward, I want a reward from the Heavenly Father, right? Right? So that's fine if they say thank you. I wasn't seeking it. 
So sometimes we give to people, but if they don't say thank you or seem to be grateful, we're like, never again, I'm not going to help that person. That's why Matthew 6, 4 says, when you do it, do it in secret. Your father who sees it will himself reward you openly. You shouldn't remember it. Give and forget. If you remember, God will forget. And if we forget, God will remember. Don't keep mental books on your giving, folks. God will not miss a single reward. You know that? Lord knows our hearts. He knows our attitudes, knows our motives. And every reward that's due to you, God will give. Look at Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name. You see that key part? We're not doing it for the glory of men. We're shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So God has a plan. He gives rewards. Trust and obey. I don't know what they are in your life, but whatever they are, is, trust me, you want to get it. But the greatest reward a believer can have, folks, is the knowledge that he pleased the Lord. That's your greatest reward. Remember when God looked at Jesus, he says, this is my son, and I am very pleased. That's the greatest reward. And with all our stuff, folks, regardless of what you have and what you don't have, you know, you know, I like history. And when John Rockefeller died, they asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? The accountant said, all of it. All your stuff God bless you with, you're not going to take anywhere else. So you need to do your investing in heaven while you're living down here. And folks, who's it going to go to when you pass away? All the blessings you gave. Sometimes it doesn't even go to the people you wanted it to go, right? Somebody starts suing each other. So do your giving while you're living. So what attitude do we have when it comes to giving? Do we give out of a pure heart? Do we do our righteous deeds for the right motives? Not to be seen by men? If not, we should echo the prayer of David in Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You need a new heart. Because the standard is so high to give without hypocrisy, you need the aid of the Holy Spirit to guide you. Because if you don't do it in the flesh, you're not going to get any reward from heaven. And we've got to protect our heart because Proverbs tells us in 423, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Let's pray. Father,